So the passage we've been in this whole uh, series is Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to read it for us again. We're actually going to add the verse right before it because it plays in a little bit. Paul, in the book of Colossians, he's talking about the supremacy of Christ, and then he unpacks for us some really specific things about where the supremacy of Christ, where, where Christ's all sufficiency, he's everything we need, there's nothing more that we could want, all of that is found in Christ, and he's saying if that's true, here's how that should play out in families. And so in chapter 3, he talks about wives in verse 18 and husbands in verse 19, and then he talks about the more dynamic family unit in verse 20, and he says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And then in verse 21, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And last week we talked about this idea of the opposite of provoking. So a great word there is exacerbate, that there's like this thing that we do with our kids, that we create this culture where we crush them or we, we're harsh towards them. And, and we want to try to create the opposite of that, which is a culture of grace. And we talked about how to do that and what that looks like to be a culture of grace. And today we want to talk about the second part of that verse primarily where it says, or they will become discouraged. And what does that mean? What does it look like for us to create the opposite of our environment? So our uh, uh, preaching cohort, we have a preaching cohort of several people that gather on Tuesdays to talk about the sermons. And so I, I was in this week, I asked this really heavy question with our group. And I was like, you guys, what, what do you guys think the opposite of being discouraged is? And one of them said, well, Brian, the opposite of being discouraged is to be encouraged. And I was like, wow, that's really profound. Thank you for your deep and thoughtful um, unpacking of what it means. And so what does the opposite of discouraged mean? It means encouraged. I mean, it's really just what it means. And so I, I, what I love about this, though, is there is one passage that uh, there's different versions of the Bible that help us flesh out what they mean, and one great way that that word can be described is to lose heart. And what I love about that is when I hear that, I can feel that. I mean, I wonder if you have ever had a moment where you've lost heart. Maybe it was in a relationship or someone said something to you or something that was crushing I wonder if you can think about that moment this morning and think about what Paul's calling us to here as he's reminding us about the tenderness of the hearts of kids. And he's saying, I want you to create a culture of grace where your children will do the opposite of losing heart. Today our point is that when we create a culture of grace, when we have an opportunity to, to, to really create this place where our kids can be loved unconditionally, that what will happen in that, what, what Paul's saying, a principle, like it's not necessarily a promise, we have to be careful here, but what he's saying is that when you create a culture of grace, in that place is where your kids will have the opportunity to be encouraged and heartened, which, right, the opposite of to lose heart, to be inheartened, and then really what all of that means is to flourish. And that's a word we really want to tackle this morning, is this idea of what it means to flourish. Now, I want to point out to us as we dive into this, this really important point of this whole series that we need to be reminded of is that we are not responsible 
for the flourishing of our children. Maybe we need to hear that just as a reminder to those who parented us, like our parents weren't necessarily responsible for our flourishing. We can create a culture, and that's what the call is as parents. Like we're called to create a culture where flourishing is possible. But so let's, let's do a little exercise. We do this every once in a while here at the summit. So all parents look at me and I want you to repeat after me. Parents are not the savior. Ready? Say it with me. Parents are not the savior. Wow, that was good. Now, it doesn't matter if you're a parent in here, right? This is a reminder for all of us in this moment, if we could just pause. We need to be reminded that we can't fix all things that are happening in this world, that we can't solve all the problems that are happening in this world, and that applies to us. We can't solve all of our problems. We can't solve the problems in our work. We can't solve the problems in our families. That, that, that really what God invites us to is to be reminded that in Christ, we find all that we need. And so Christ is the ultimate Savior, that Jesus is the one true Savior. And so I would invite all of you to actually say that with me too, that if we could just repeat after me, I am not the Savior. So I'll say that together. I am not the Savior. Colossians 3.20, and that's why I brought it in this morning, why we brought it in. It says that children's, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. That there's a responsibility that we really haven't dived into in this series about where children and their responsibility is in this. But the foundation of what Paul is calling us to is to be a people who look to God trust in him, and then as we're finding our hope and our grace and all of our needs met in him, that we then take that and apply that to being a people of grace who provide and create a culture where flourishing is possible. Now, the two ditches that we can fall into in that is we're like, okay, great, I'm going to create a culture where my kid can flourish. And we, sometimes we hear two things, one of two places our minds go. One is we go to a place of license where we're like, well, I'm never going to tell my kids set any boundaries. I'm just going to let them do whatever they want. Or the other extreme we go to is, well, I'm going to create a place of flourishing, and they better understand that this is a place of flourishing, so they're going to know what is right and the ways to behave in this place of flourishing. So we either go to license or legalism. And I would venture to say many of us grew up in a culture with one of those ditches, and to create an environment of flourishing doesn't mean letting our kids do whatever we want, and it doesn't mean just creating this massive culture of order. We, we need to agree that the most licentious environment and the most strict environment produce rebellious kids. Right? Let that land just really quickly. The most licentious environment so you can do whatever you want in this environment. And the most strict environment, the most legalistic environment, still have the potential to produce rebellious kids. Now, the invitation to us is to hear God's call that in the gospel, we're reminded we're not in control. And so we are called to create a place where our kids can flourish, where they're not discouraged, not where they're not losing heart, but where they can be encouraged and enheartened and flourishing. 
And, and so followers of Jesus, because we submit to the sovereignty of God, we have the freedom to pursue flourishing and avoid license or legalism. And so we, wanna, we can want to press in this morning into, into this, like what does that look like? And so we're going to talk about what is flourishing. We want to really define that in a healthy way. Then we want to talk about a barrier to flourishing. There's several, but one specific barrier that we want to talk about. And then we're going to give you some really practical paths to flourishing this morning. So let's talk about what is flourishing. I need these. Hmm. Um, When we think about flourishing, to kind of define it, flourishing means to thrive, to grow, to increase, um, to move towards our potential, to bloom. And of all these scriptures, I really am drawn to the word bloom. It sounds pretty. Um, I like the image of helping people bloom into who God designed them to be. And I also like um, this metaphor I heard recently about if kind of about plants and different kinds of plants, right, require different things in order to flourish. And so you can't treat a tomato plant like a cactus, right, and expect it to flourish. And so um, people are similar, right? So part of having our plants flourish is we need to understand what kind of plants they are so that we can help take care of them. And it's similar with our kids. And wouldn't it be nice if when babies are born, we were given a specific manual on them, right? And it would tell us <laughs> about their personality, you know, how to connect with them, what they need. Um, because it can be really hard to learn to understand and read our infants, but it can be also really hard to understand our toddlers or our teenagers or even our adult children. Um, and if we can cultivate a mindset of learning about, about those in our lives, then we're more likely to help them flourish and cultivate their flourishing. And what, what I really love about this, what we're talking about today, is that we're creating an environment of flourishing where our kids can become who they were designed and created to be. So this principle applies to so many things in our lives. So I remember just learning about marriage for Donna and I, that part of my role in being married to her and becoming her partner was now I had the opportunity not to just tell her all the bad things that there are about her, but really to see, which are not many, and and then to, uh, if any, babe, if any. uh, Good call. And uh, see, I covered that. And then, uh, but... But I get to see where God is most glorified in her and to join her in saying, hey, here's where I see God in you. And that's what we're saying is part of what this is with our kids. That this is, it's actually the beautiful responsibility that God has given us to say, you, you get to see, you steward. I, I think he, it's a good word for us. Like, you now are the steward of my child is what God says. And I want you to join me in creating a place where we can draw out of them who God designed and created them to be. And, and what's beautiful about this is that 
this, there is really a larger principle for us here. All Christians whose allegiance is to Jesus mean that we're joining him in this process of restoration, that we're joining God in helping draw out the beauty and wonder of what he has created and designed things to be. And so the kingdom of God is being revealed, and we are invited to bring the flourishing of people all around the world. So, so the, this moment is actually a call to all of us, whether you're single whether you're married and unable to have kids, whether you're married and have kids, whether you're a grandparent, no matter where you are in this journey, we're, this is the call of a Christian, to join God in his flourishing work until he brings complete restoration. I mean, to go back to the garden, if we can, just for a second, in the garden we saw that God's creation was good and it was growing and it was increasing and it was moving towards its potential. And that's what God's restorative plan is. Now, in regard to parenting, the call to parents is to join God in creating a culture where the flourishing or the blooming of our kids is possible. Now, before we talk about what that looks like, sometimes we have some barriers that we put in place that hinder that culture, that hinder that environment, and we want to unpack one specifically this morning. So in this barrier, we're kind of getting down to some sort of some basic brain science. So, you know, our brain has layers, right? And in one of the deeper layers of our brain is, you know, the more basic or primary part of our brain that seeks our safety and protection, right? And this is where our limbic system is located. And our limbic system is trying to keep us safe and keep us connected to the people that we love. Um, but it is also kind of the smoke detector part of our brain and that goes into alert mode when we perceive that there's a threat to our physical or emotional safety, right? So we also have this part of our brain. So if you, a helpful way to illustrate this from, I learned this from the book Parenting from the Inside Out that I referenced last week, but to illustrate this, you can kind of look at, use your hand and this inside part, this deeper part, is the um, limp, sort of where the limbic system lives. And then when we think about like our prefrontal cortex, right, this, the part that lives up here, our hemispheres, right, are where our logic, our executive functions live. And so planning, impulse control, reason, logic kind of live in that part of the brain. And that our, our brain is designed to be integrated, right? God wants it to work together as a whole. Um, but sometimes what can happen is when we're triggered emotionally in a significant way, our brains can start to disconnect, right? And we can actually flip our lids. You've probably heard that term before. <laughs> and, um, oh, they like that. They like to flip the lid. That was good. <laughs> and so then the, <laughs> the prefrontal cortex goes offline, and our, just our basic functioning is kind of there where... Fight, we, we've heard, right, fight, flight, or freeze. So that's kind of where that comes from. And so when we flip our lid, the problem is that it often leads us to fight, flight, or freeze, right? So we shut down or we respond in some kind of reactive way, which then tells or communicates to our kids that we're not really safe. And then it often leads to them flipping their lids, right? Um, obviously, it can also be in the reverse order, which you've probably experienced that as well. But. And so, we're curious, which one are you prone to? 
when you flip, when you flip your lid, I love that language, which are you prone to? Are you, no, I gotta keep this part in there. Keep. It's still there, yeah. <laughs> when you flip your lid, uh, what are you prone to? Are you prone to hide? We talked about this some last week. Are you prone to be aggressive? And really the answer to that is it depends, right? I mean, we're both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when it comes down to it, it depends on the moment and what's happening, right? But, but probably we all have tendencies that we lean to. And the call, I, I was challenged by this as we were talking about this, the call from Paul is as adults, our children can more easily lose heart than we can. I, I like the word tender, that we need to treat our kids tenderly, is what Paul is inviting us to here. And, and that's why I like the plant metaphor that Donner came up with, right? That, that there's, we need to remember that they need care and the potential for them to flip their lid, especially when they're younger, even as they grow up into their teenager ages, it, it's gonna be easier for them to do. And so we, we all experience this in life. It just is a matter of life that we go through this. And part of creating a culture of flourishing is giving grace to each other in these human reactions. So when we flip our lids, we, we need to give each other grace in that. But the, really what we're asking, we're, we're challenging you to, is that when your kids flip their lids, like when your kid all of a sudden hides or becomes aggressive, that the response of our hearts as parents is to create a culture of flourishing. And so sometimes we need to create a path to that where they can come out of that and that, that we can help them to understand what it means to interact and all those kinds of things. But when they flip their lids, usually what I'll do is I'll get super passive aggressive with them or super aggressive and then it doesn't help the situation at all. Both of our lids are flipped and we're just walking around. <laughs> Dangerous, yeah. Well. So with that being said, let's, so I'd, I'd, we'd ask you, watch this week. Donna and I had a great, we had an argument last week and she said, I, I flipped my lid and, I, and it flipped mine and we were able to just like use that. It's funny, but sometimes that language helps. You know, it helped us go, yeah, okay, wait, that happened. Let's, let's regroup. And so we would encourage you guys to pay attention to that. Like, what's going on here? Why, why am I so, we have all these words we use, triggered and blah, blah, blah. And flip the lid can help, right? It's just thinking about when has something happened that I'm now not operating the way God designed me to be. It doesn't mean we can't be emotional and use our emotions to express things. It's just sometimes when we're now in this fight or, or freeze or flight frame and we're not able to enter into a culture of flourishing. So now I want to just talk about some paths to flourishing, really three paths to flourishing that can help us. E even though we may flip our lids, how can we now create a place in life where people are able, and especially our kids are able, to have the potential for flourishing. Yes, and there, there are many paths, obviously, to flourishing. Brian and I just decided to choose, we like these three. We, we think that they're um, super helpful for us, and so we want to kind of share these three with you. Um, but one path to flourishing that can help is cur through curiosity. And when we seek to discover who God uniquely designed our kids to be, and cultivate those qualities, we help them to flourish, right? So back to our plant metaphor, um, we need to take time to figure out who our kid is. If he's a tomato plant, right, and needs a lot of care or, you know, water or nurturing, um, then 
we want to pay attention to that, right? Or if our child is a cactus, then she needs more space, right? So a drier climate, right? We just, we, so knowing and understanding our kids um, it can really help. So it's when we step back and become curious about our kids and their behavior and why they're doing what they're doing, we give more space to understand them. And interestingly, of course, we see this exemplified in God and Jesus' interactions with, with us, right, with others. And we often see God or Jesus asking questions. Even though God already knows the answers, we really see him demonstrating um, that curiosity through those questions. And I think that's really cool. So. One of my problems is that I assume all of my kids want their life to be just like mine. Some of you are with me on this, right? Like, we just, we want our, we're like, if this is how it worked for me, I, you should, it should be the same way, right? So when I grew up... It's more um, like if it's good enough for you. If it's me, good, yes, yeah, so it's, it's good, good enough, enough for me, for you, it's good right. enough for you. When I grew up, I, my, every time I came home from school, I would have a snack and I would sit down and I would engage with my mom and I would tell her about my day. And some of you guys may know this about me. Like, I like people and I like to talk and I like to engage and wherever things are going on, I like that. Yes, that's true about me. So... <laughs> <laughs> you like to talk? I like to talk. And so my ki- so I'll never forget, so my youngest daughter, Aubrey, um, she would, I would pick her up from school and we would come home and she wouldn't want to talk to me. And I was like, there's something wrong. And so I, you know, so what I did was I put all these things on her, right? Like, and da-da-da-da to to what happened was I remember having a conversation one day. I was like, after school, I was like, hey, Aubrey, you want to play a game or you want to come talk about your day or you want to go out for ice cream or, you know, which is her love language, ice cream. And so, and, and uh, she was like, no, 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 no. And then she said to me, she said, dad, my day is so crazy with people. I just like to come home and be alone for a little bit. And I remember, <laughs> I mean, this is that listening piece that there's this curiosity piece. I'm sorry, like there's this curiosity piece of like asking, learning, trying to be a, a, a you know, learner of my child and my kid that God has asked me to be a steward of. Who are you and what do you like? And we put all these, we can, right? We have this tendency, I do, to put these expectations on my kids that this is how it was for me, so this is how it should be for you. And what God is saying is, I've wired this kid totally different than you are. And so you need to be thinking about the same way I helped grow you and help you, I listen to you. Like I, yes, there are things about following me, but the way I wired you is so unique. I want, God comes and allows us to be who we are uniquely designed in him. And we now as parents, as stewards, have that same role to learn and to listen and to engage and be curious about our kids so we can help them become who God designed and created them to be. And that's what a culture of flourishing has. It has a culture of curiosity. And then another path to flourishing, obviously directly tied to curiosity, is listening. And Brian sort of mentioned that earlier. But, you know, just like a meal has a main dish, I I really think of listening and seeking to understand as the main dish in our relationship with others, with kids, with our kids. And 
it, while advice and instruction can be kind of more like the dessert, right? Like we need a little bit less of that sometimes. Um, and in seeking to understand our kids better, it's really critical that we learn to listen to them better, right? So most of us struggle with listening, especially without judgment. Um, and if honest, we know we often listen in order to wait to get our turn to talk, right? Um, and so consider how much God listens to us, right? Like, he gives us so much space to express over and over and over again what we feel and what we need from him. And, and so I think that that's a, a beautiful picture of how God wants us to try to relate to each other. Can I just ask you guys to hear that again, what Donna just said? Most of us struggle with listening without judgment. And if we're honest, we know how often we listen in order to get our turn to talk. That's a product of control, our inability to listen. We think we know what's best. We think we have all the answers. We think we can solve all the problems. And so we step in with our control and we'll listen to our kids, we'll listen to our kids. Okay, are you done? Okay, now let me tell you how this really is supposed to go and what's supposed to happen. I learned a lot from Dondra. She kind of practiced both of these first two with uh, curiosity and listening with our middle daughter, Sydney. So Sydney is a little bit more like me and less like Dondra. And so, uh, <laughs> and so, so it will tell you this about us, right? I'm a little more extroverted and outgoing and love to be at the party. And Dondra replenishes when there, it's, she can be quiet and more of one-on-one -on -one personal. And so what I saw her do with Sydney who is also outgoing and creative and a little woo. Um, I say that in the most loving way to my daughter, Sydney, who's here today, uh, is that um, what Donra did was she learned to be curious of Sydney and not try to squash that in her, but to help her, to help her be who she was. And in that, what Donra also learned is how to listen to Sydney. So Sydney is... Um, the way Sydney's wired is she's an out loud processor, so she needs to just talk things and say things. And sometimes she can say things that are maybe even wrong and inaccurate or in, not quite inappropriate. I don't want to go that far, but she just likes to say things. But for her, she's not looking for us to give all the answers to those things. And so I loved watching Dondra kind of learn and build her relationship with Sydney in this as she would practice those things and is a great listener of Sydney. And in that, I think that Sydney has found Dondra is very safe. So like she can bring those, even those things that may be inappropriate to Dondra because she knows that Dondra's gonna be curious about her and Dondra's gonna listen to her. And, and I love how in that Sydney then, what you see is you see her flourish, right? You see her coming to better understand who she is and what God wants to do in her life. All right, so we've got Curious, listening, and let's jump now into. Well, you're, oh, you're stepping on my I, toes. I stepped on your toes. I'm sorry. I okay. forgot to flip the page. Okay. Um, well, I was just going to say one more little thing about listening that sometimes we're really not listening to our children because of our own mm -hmm. internal experience, right? There, sometimes our own world inside is so noisy um, that sometimes that's all we can hear, right? And that's totally fair. Like, um, but if we can pay attention to our own internal experience, then it really can help us to 
be able to tune in to what we need in that moment so that we can shift our attention and focus back to our kids when we when they need that um, and so one of you know thinking about like we talked about flipping our lid right how tight is your lid on right like are you are you in a good place yourself um, where you're going to be able to listen to somebody else so so then after that we were talking about which Brian was alluding to we're getting to our third pathway which is repairing and so you know being able to focus both on our own experience and that of our kid is really central to repair. And so what does that mean, like um, repair? And it means knowing that, you know, when we're triggered in our brain um, and when we're flipping our lid and try to understand our kids' brains. Because as adults, we need to be able to take responsibility for the ruptures that happen with our kids. And so what what then is a rupture? Okay, a rupture is, it means like to suffer a breach of harmonious or peaceful relation. Okay, so to suffer a breach of harmonious or peaceful relations, right? So God designed us for really peaceful relations with each other, especially with the people that we love. And, but sometimes something breaks between us. And in, sometimes those are in small ways. Sometimes they are in big ways, right, where something ruptures. And movies and TV shows tend to show us usually those big ruptures, right, where something big happens, like a big argument or fight or something. Um, but ruptures aren't always that big. Sometimes they can just be when we miss a tune or we don't really see what's happening with the other person. And that can create a, a rupture. So, for example, like if you... if if, I, if we get an eye roll, right, from our teenager, um, that could signify that they don't think that we're getting them, right? Um, and these types of signals from our kids can be hard for us sometimes to manage them, right? So um, if you're like me, then, you know, you might want to be defensive in that moment or you might want to roll your eyes back at them, you know, in that moment in response because our brains really don't like these ruptures, Right, um, and so these moments of disconnection from the people we love, you know, often cause us to feel really bad in some way. And that doesn't put our brains in the best place to want to repair with that other person. Um, that's one reason why humility is so important and critical in this. It just allows us to kind of step back from our feelings to consider what the other person's feeling and what, what they're needing in the situation. Um, and it requires us as parents to apologize first and to ask for forgiveness from our child before, that's critical, right, before we ask them to do something differently, right? Um, and children with different temperaments have different ways of recovering, right, from being in that flipped lid or meltdown state, right? And so we sometimes... Kids need a long time to recover from that, right? Some, pe some kids can recover really quickly, right? Um, but what seems to be true for children is that they cannot fully recover until the parent has reached out to reestablish connection, right? So that's our responsibility as parents. And really, I believe from Scripture that God really calls us as Christians to be that person who seeks to reestablish connection, right? Um, so when Sydney was young and I was teaching her preschool class in, at church, um, I was admittedly 
wanting to be a good teacher. And so I thought that meant that my daughter, you know, needed to be the, the exceptional student in the class, right, even though she was four. Um, <laughs> and so I was a little, you know, I, my requirements on her were clearly higher, and I, I felt like I needed to um, really pay more attention to the other kids. So one day I was teaching her class, and she said, after class, she said, Mom, I don't like when you're the teacher. And I was like, <laughs> I was like well, of course you don't. You know? <laughs> And um, she said, you know, well, in that state, I was, I was not super happy to get that feedback. I was like, <laughs> I just spent an hour and a half with a bunch of four-year-olds, and now I'm getting criticized. <laughs> um, but I was able to ask her, well, why not, Sydney? And she said, because I just want you to be my mom. And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> But I really took that to heart, and that meant so much to me that one statement clarified for me what it must be like for my daughter in that situation, right? She's used to me being her mom, the person she can depend on, and when I'm in that teacher role, I was different, right? And someone that she could barely recognize in some ways. Um, and so that was super helpful feedback to me. And so. It was one opportunity for me. I don't know if I apologize, but I know that I hugged her in that moment because that was an amazing gift that she gave me of, of seeing how I was affecting her. Yeah. So what we want to hear this morning is those three things, right? We have a barrier. We're called to be, as parents, to apply this verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Do not create a place that's harsh. Do not create a place where they're exacerbated. And in that place, if you can create a place where there's grace, then there's an opportunity for them to flourish, to be the opposite of discouraged, where they're going to grow and become who the person God designed and created them to be. They have the potential for that, right? We have to remember, and I, and I catch myself even saying it, but I want to say it bluntly, right? Like, it, what we're called to do is create that culture and environment and trust God to then do what he, he's going to do, which is care for our kids. And so we want to invite you as we learn and to all of us to practice this, right? Like how can we help create a place where our kids are encouraged? And that's to be a place where there's curiosity, to be a place where there's listening. And then when there is ruptures, to be people who are quick to repent and to come and in humility bring uh, right relationship. And isn't humility the right response to our sin of control. That when we're in control, when we want everything, when we think we know how to handle everything, that really what God calls us to actually is to be humble and to, to submit to him and him and what he has and know that his plan is best. You know, if we come back to that garden illustration, one of the commands God gives Adam and Eve in the garden is to cultivate and he's saying, work in a way that brings flourishing. And we want to encourage you to ask God to give you eyes to see the glory of God in your kids or your grandkids. And we have this unique opportunity to see and unveil the unique ways that God has designed our kids for his glory. And the best way for us to live in that is to remember that God truly is in control, that he is sovereign. 
maybe good to remind us too that flourishing doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect in our kids' lives. You know, I think sometimes we get this mindset like the flourishing of our kids is the American dream. You know, that they're going to be rich, that they're going to be safe, that they're going to be healthy. And that's not what the promise of Scripture is. And God is saying, I want you to create an environment where whether they're rich or poor, whether they're safe or not safe, whether they're healthy or not, that they'll know who they are in Christ. So let's just do a quick review here and we'll wrap up our series. Um, We open the series by talking about what kids need, that they need felt safety, feeling seen, felt comfort, feeling valued, and felt support. Then last week we talked about the call to create a culture of grace versus creating a culture of exasperation. And today we concluded by reminding us that God is in control of all of this and that we're invited to join him in creating a culture where flourishing is possible. But we have to remember and rest in the truth that we're called to be humble stewards of the kids that God has graciously given to us. And the way we want to conclude, actually, there's a pastor in, um, in Tennessee. His name's Scotty Smith. He has a book of prayers, daily prayers, amazing writer, and uh, has a prayer for every day. And there's one prayer that he specifically wrote about family and about kids. And I want to wrap up our day this morning and our time together by just reading it to you. But I want to coach you a little bit on how this moment is going to go, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be... Uh, easy for us maybe to get distracted in this. So I want to give you some freedom to look at me as I read this, or if it's better for you maybe to close your eyes in this and hear this. And what, what the prayer is, is really it's just this great prayer, this reminder of that God really can take all of our mess ups and even all of our great things and use them, right? That we can throw off all of this weight that is on us to be perfect parents, and we can look around in this room and say, you know, we're a bunch of totally messed up people trying to live under the grace of God, and in that, God is big enough to move, whether we parent out of licentiousness or parent out of legalism, or we're able to create a place where flourishing is possible, that God is saying, I'm going to work no matter what, so trust me, trust me in all of that. And so as I read this prayer, like I said, if it's easier for you to look at me so you can focus or maybe you want to close your eyes and just let this wash over you. And for those of us who can't have kids, for those of us who don't have kids, um, for those of us who are single in here, this is also a great prayer to remind you that um, God is in control of your life too. That even in the midst of the parents that you had that maybe impacted your life in positive or negative ways, that that God's at work and that we all can learn and can submit to him in humility and trust him with our lives, knowing that Jesus went to the darkest place that anyone could ever go to so that we could have hope and peace. So let me close with this prayer and invite you to um, just listen or enter into this prayer with me, however it will help you best. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it's a joy to address you today as the architect and builder of of your own house, including the household of faith and our children's place in your family. Father, thank you for rescuing us as parents from laboring in vain, assuming a burden you never intended parents to bear, 
For only you can reveal the glory and grace of Jesus to our kids. Only you can give anyone a new heart. You've called us to parent as an act of worship, to parent as unto you, not as a way of saving face, making a name for ourselves, or proving our worthiness of your love. Oh, the arrogant pride of thinking that by our good parenting, we can take credit for what you alone accomplish in the lives of our children. And Father, oh, the arrogant unbelief of assuming that by our bad parenting, we forever limited what you will be able to accomplish in the future in our kids. Oh, the undue pressure our children must feel when we parent more out of our fear and pride than by your love and grace. Since our children and grandchildren are your inheritance, Father, teach us how to care for them as humble stewards, not as anxious owners. More than anything else, show us how to parent and grandparent in a way that best reveals the unsearchable riches of Jesus and the gospel. Give us quick repentances and observable kindnesses. Convict us quickly and surely when we do not relate to our children in the line with the truth of the gospel. And restore the years eaten away by our moralistic, pragmatic, guilt-laced, fear-filled parenting. Write stories of redemption between us and our kids that clearly reveal your name to be Redeemer. And Jesus is faithful. In glorious name we pray all these things.